Welcome to your XFL Insider Podcast. We are back for another great week of XFL news and updates. I've got Jake and Drew with me today. No special guests. Jake, Drew, you want to say anything before we get started? What is up, beautiful people? I think it would be uh, remiss of me to say that my co-hosts are actually celebrating uh, birthdays this week. So, happy birthday, guys. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. Hopefully it uh, ends in a Roughnecks win over your Battle Squawks. Uh, that would be the ultimate birthday present, but I digress. Appreciate that. I don't like to get older. But I'll take the well wishes, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can just be glad that, you know, my birthday still eight months down the road and not during the XFL season, but I digress <laughs> on that as well. Well, as we get started today, we're going to do the normal landscape of the show. Uh, we'll discuss a new, a few news updates, and then we'll roll into last week's game updates and just talk about kind of what happened. After that, we will discuss the game summaries for this week and any kind of details in between. Uh, first off, let's just start with the XFL TV ratings from week six. It appears that we have got a big jump, um, but we kind of all expected that accordingly. Uh, the ABC game against Orlando and Seattle had over a million viewers. Uh, that's a pretty big jump from what we were looking at initially, and that also doesn't include streaming applications. Guys, you got anything you'd like to add on that? Not particularly. There was one game that got a whole hell of a lot of views, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was over a million that it landed. And I want to say it was the It was Seattle Orlando game. and Seattle. Yep. So, uh, which, by the way, fantastic game. Uh, if 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 anyone uh, was amongst the one million plus views, uh, awesome game to watch. Uh, was in a good time slot. Everything worked out perfect. I think that that million is indicative of of what you might see uh, had the timing been different of this league. Um, you know, not fighting March Madness in the Final Four and all that stuff. Not fighting all these different sports, but it is what it is. There's a reason that the XFL goes on during this time frame, And uh, I think those are the kind of viewership uh, numbers that you can expect moving forward in times that are not dominated by other sports. And uh, I mean, this week, and I think the ones I did catch were the two ABC games. And then I believe it might've been, uh, Battlehawks, Vipers, I, I don't quite remember uh, on uh, the game. So I know one of the games I had to quickly transition over to the MLS game where uh, City uh, SC in St. Louis won their fifth straight against uh, Real Salt Lake. Uh, so I'm, it's like, 
well, at least I caught three. It's like it was enough for me to finally get uh, YouTube TV reactivated again. And uh, so I did catch at least three of the games this week. And I didn't catch mon- the Monday night foot game. But, um, I mean, it was a good weekend overall. Yeah, as, as projected, I figured the ABC games would do pretty well. <clears throat> They're easy to find. Everybody knows where they were. I know I'm like you, Jake. I kind of had stuff in between, so I couldn't catch all the games. I think not having a regular schedule is really kind of impacting what's going on with with us watching. As such as, I mean, sometimes you can't catch a game on a Monday evening. It's just the way it is. Um, Otherwise, the numbers look good. We expected it. I wouldn't be surprised if the numbers do go back down, considering not all the games will be on ABC. So, guys at home, don't worry. The XFL's fine. Seconded. The XFL is very healthy. Speaking of that, let's talk about The Rock and Danny Garcia. They had an interview with USA Today regarding the future of the league. Basically, The Rock and Danny um, stand by the league. They say they've already surpassed uh, the 2020 version of XFL. And that they plan on continuing this until 2024 at least. Uh, guys, you got anything? Any way you type, any type of way you feel regarding this article? You can go ahead, Jake. I was actually just uh, briefly scanning through the article before we started, and I mean, I I can understand where they're they're saying, you know, all this um, decline stuff from 2020. Uh, where they mentioned something about the average TV viewership this season uh, was down 64% uh, for those first five weeks. And then average attendance figures being down 21%. I mean, they they could be down on the league on this stuff as much as it is, but they... I mean, I have to agree with Garcia and Johnson uh, that despite those figures, the old version of the league under Vince McMahon's not exactly a fair measuring stick under this uh, for this new regime. I know Johnson said something along the lines that I think it's not really apples to apples here. However, we do keep a close eye on things, and you have to. Um, uh, but the... Um, I do appreciate the fact that they do have a long-term strategy for the league and just the fact of hearing these words from Garcia that there will be an XFL season in 2024. It's just, I mean, it should make all three of us happy. Uh, and it's just now, you know, after this season's our roof, we just got to really nail things down on what, uh, you know what other details will be involved with this relationship to, with the F- NFL outside of the academy and you know playing around with their rules and whatnot to w- see where things even go even further than 24. Yeah I think I mean once again with the viewership stuff these guys this ownership group is a lot different than Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon looks for instant return on investment and if it's not there, then he's screwed because that's the only thing that he planned for. Uh, 
that was that was very clear during the last iteration of the XFL. Uh, there were still whispers of of well, what happens if the if the players don't get paid? All this stuff that is not something that you can expect under under this uh, setup of leadership. The previous XFL didn't have the support of Under Armour. It didn't have an official energy drink. It did, like the 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 sponsorships and everything alone really are, are floating the league uh, without even talking about viewership or attendance. Really, uh, viewership is was kind of a known commodity. They went into the season, they knew what they were dealing with, what they were going to go up against in terms of, like I was saying, the NCAA tournament and things like that. But you can bet that they did a, a cost-benefit analysis and determined that, oh, well, I guess it is going to be worth doing this, right? And then the benefits for the players also being done by the time the draft, or close to done by the time the draft runs around. These guys aren't aren't amateurs. These guys all have owned different businesses or or currently own different businesses. They're not, they're not new to the game. So uh, whereas Vince McMahon is all about entertainment and immediate return on investment, these guys are about the long haul. These guys are about making a plan and sticking to the plan, but being a, adaptive enough to overcome whatever, whatever might uh, derail that plan. To this point, the XFL hasn't seen anything that's going to derail it. Even the viewership numbers being down 21% or whatever that figure was, uh, is not a big deal. It's not big enough to upset the the overall plan, and that bodes well for the XFL. Yeah, I want to pick on one comment uh, that I was reading from the article. Um, Danny Garcia is they're they're talking about the future of the league and how that compares to the NFL. Um, the Rock Johnson said there is no competition between the XFL and the NFL. Um, he's not trying to work a competition with that. When asked if he could see the XFL being more of a feeder league, uh, Garcia responded, not necessarily. I wouldn't say intentionally we're looking to be a feeder league to the NFL, she said, but it is part of the evolution that in success, we would be absolutely thrilled to see our athletes there. If that could take place, this is going to ensure the success of this league. So when we first started this run, I feel like, before we had an actual teams and actual season, I was under the understanding that we would be working towards um, an NFL relationship. So hopefully we can see that. In my opinion, I believe that will be huge for the success of the XFL down the road. Yeah, I think what you're going to end up seeing is is a sort of symbiotic relationship between the two, right? Uh, in in layman's terms, both of them are gonna are gonna benefit. Uh, and they're they're still going to exist, you know, regardless of whether what happens to the other. Like the NFL obviously is not going to tank just because the XFL tanks, uh, which in my opinion it's not going to. Uh, the XFL uh, doesn't have to worry about the NFL tanking, but they also don't have to try to be the NFL. And and just the fact that they're playing with different rule sets uh, during the games, I think, is a, a big identifier that yes they want their players to go to the nfl no they don't miss they don't want to be a feeder league or a development league like they're still trying to be their own product in the long run however they do want to see their players succeed and they're not going to stop guys from going to the nfl it's not going to become some sort of product war between the nfl and the xfl the xfl knows it can't win that battle danny garcia the rock all of those guys know that they can't win that battle so their job 
and their desire is to build as big of a product as possible out of the XFL while still helping these guys achieve their dreams. But year to year, you're going to see a lot of the same names on the same teams. It's uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of turnover. They're not going to redraft every year because everybody goes to the NFL. You're going to see onesie twosies from each of the teams go to the NFL and then teams having to fill that hole. And I think personally, that's going to cause a lot of parity in the XFL, which is going to make it make it more watchable. Understood. <clears throat> I like that taken in agreement as well. Um, they're definitely setting themselves aside from the USFL, <clears throat> and I like to see that. All right, before we move on, anything else on this? So I didn't want to talk about too many transactions or injuries unless we had more you wanted to add. Uh, so today I just wanted to bring up the two biggest, in my opinion, this past week, and that was the Luis Perez trade and the fact that Kyle Slaughter was released. Um, the 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 Vegas standpoint, I don't really understand the trade. But for the Renegades, they definitely need the help. But as we're seeing now, it's reported that he's probably not starting. Um, guys, you got anything you want to you want to talk about on this? I, honestly, I don't know where to start. Just just to get just to be honest. Well, uh, Kyle Slaughter not being on the roster anymore is a huge WTF for me. I don't. I mean, unless they just are putting their chips on the table with somebody else. Uh, now we did get reports of him talking talking bad about their coordinator, uh, talk about about talking bad about the coaching. There was a lot going on where uh, I was seeing on Twitter where he was bashing this staff. So I don't know if that was why or not. Well, I mean, <laughs> I tend to agree with him. I mean, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> if, if all three quarterbacks on the roster can't get the offense going, my assumption is it's not the quarterbacks. I mean, all of these guys have talent. All of these guys were looked at to be potential NFL players. And I have a hard time believing that it's those guys, all of those guys' fault. Uh, any number of things can cause bad quarterback play. You can have a bad offensive coordinator. Uh, you can have a bad system for your quarterbacks, which that falls on the offensive coordinator. You can have a bad offensive line, which I think is their problem. They've just got a trash offensive line, uh, if I'm being completely honest. Uh they can't they can't get the run game going they can't get the pass game going generally that's an offensive line problem usually uh, i would say probably 9 times out of 10 uh, so the the Kyle Slaughter stuff really <laughs> uh it kind of makes me laugh cuz that answers a question that i had about uh about Bob Stoops about whether the game has passed him by well offensively it seems like it's passed him by it's either passed him by or the offense offensive line is bad enough that it makes it look like it has passed him by him. Not changing the offensive coordinator says that he thinks about things like this differently than me, which I mean, hell, who am I? I mean, he's the pro, but it's, it's not working for him. So something has to change. If he thinks kicking slaughter off the team's the, the best way to go about it, then sure. Uh, I got nothing else on that one. I, it kind of floors me that. So yes, he went about slaughter probably went about it wrong, but criticism is criticism, and you can either use it as constructive or feel like you're you're betrayed a little bit. I think there's some feelings hurt. Uh, maybe both ways. Who knows? Uh, Perez, Perez, where was it that he went again? 
the Renegades. He did. That's right. It was a trade. Or yep. the uh, Vipers got a linebacker out of the deal. Perez. So you're, with Perez, you're going to see uh, kind of the same start that you saw uh, early in the XFL. Uh, probably more so like that first DC game. Uh, for a couple of weeks, like Dallas is not going to immediately score 30 points before, because they have Luis Perez. Uh, Luis Perez is going to have to take some time to learn the play uh, playbook. Uh, it'll take probably a couple of weeks for him to to learn enough to be dangerous, and then they'll tinker with it thereafter. If if Luis Perez comes in and lights things up for Dallas or for Dallas, for Arlington, I would be very, very surprised. I, I'll i just go back to say that I don't think it's a quarterback issue, but Luis Perez is obviously an upgrade from from the three that they had. So, Jake, do you feel anything on this trade? Mm, the trade, not so much. Uh, slaughter, I, I mean, I've got one thing to say and one thing uh, to say only, and that's good riddance that he's gone. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, when he first got signed, I expected a lot more out of him. But as Drew said, is the coaching staff involved? I have a feeling in terms of spring ball, we won't. This this isn't the last we see of Mister Slaughter. He will be around again, whether it be the USFL or something else. That is assuming anybody's got any room for him in the USFL. That's the thing. Now the Vipers did receive Ryan Mueller. He was a linebacker from Kansas State. I'm not sure much on him, but just wanted to mention it in case any Viper fans are listening. Uh, I hope you got the what you needed from that, Vipers. He's a depth piece, honestly. You know, he may even step in and start. The Vegas front seven needs help. They really do. It's just Vic Beasley at this point uh, That's that's worth, you know, game planning for. Teams have figured it out really since week two, essentially. Okay, well, before we move on, anything else? Oh, you're good. Anything else we want to join or mention on that before we move on? Okay, let's go into this week's games. We had some excitement. Um, I'm going to save the sea dragons and orlando game for the end we got jesse he's gonna he's got a piece he recorded that we want to add on um he's he's pretty he's pretty happy with his orlando guardians but he's pretty disappointed in the dean blandino situation so check for that towards the end of this um so let's start off let's talk about the st louis battle hawks they blasted the vegas vipers 29 to 6 that game was in vegas jake what you got was there even a doubt? <laughs> I mean, uh, seriously, uh, uh, Battlehawks facing off against the, you know, the worst team in the league. Well, actually, no, I forgot. Orlando has that designation, but still, or- Vegas is still pretty bad. Let's see. So, I did see some things that were notable uh, from that game obviously mccarran going 23 for 29 uh for 236 yards uh for and three touchdowns and a clean sheet as far as interceptions is concerned because there were none um the one thing that i did notice 
was there were some questionable calls by the officiating team, probably the first quarter. Uh, but, you know, they finally got their act together, I guess if you want to call it that. So with the outcome on that one, McCarron is uh, leading the league uh, with uh, 15 touchdowns for the year. And let's see. So uh, St. Louis is also 8 for 16 on extra point conversions this season and 6 for 10 on two-point conversions. Uh, Lavert Hill and Brian Hill, obviously, uh, doing their own uh, things on the field. Lavert Hill caught his first two interceptions of the season, both of them obviously against uh, Vegas, uh, became the first player to have multiple interceptions in a single game. So a historic moment for him. Um, you know, first interception, the opening drive of uh uh, for the Vipers in the second half and then set up the Battle Hawks for a touchdown drive uh, that it further extended their lead to 23 uh, nothing. Also, uh, looks like tallied up two tackles and a tackle for loss as well. Brian Hill compiled 91 all-purpose yards against Vegas, which was his third straight game with at least 90 all-purpose yards. With a game high 62 rushing yards and 13 k- carries for about 4.8 uh, yards per uh, rush, and then also carried uh, caught four passes for 29 yards. Uh, as far as I don't have the stats for the Vegas end, do you happen to have that, Drew? Yeah, uh, officially uh, there were no stats for Vegas. They they sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, let's be let's be honest the score was not indicative of the ass kicking that took place even the thing the time that they scored it wasn't it wasn't because it was some amazing play call or anything like that like it, they lucked into six points lucked into six points backed into six points however you want to say it they accidentally scored basically <laughs> that game was was pretty hard to watch uh, it was very clear who the best team on the field was it was very clear that uh, that Las Vegas had, had not a clue at all how to how to attack that defense. Uh, either that, or they just couldn't for whatever reason. After they've been able to attack teams like uh, like Seattle, they've been able to attack teams like DC and put up numbers. Uh, whatever was going on out in Vegas, it's just ugly. It's just really is ugly, and I, I think it was nice to see. Uh, from my point of view, the Battle Hawks being in control for a whole game, being a complete team for a whole game, that's the kind of, of team that Battle Hawks fans expected when they played DC the first two times. It's not necessarily what they got. They did get solid efforts from the from the Battle Hawks in those uh, two games against DC. But if the Battle Hawks can play like they did against the Vipers, that makes them a better matchup against DC uh, come playoff time if they do, in fact, get that uh, second spot ahead of Seattle. And uh, I, you know, it was a pretty sound beating and I agree with you on, uh, you know, the, just how Vegas managed to get those six points. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's a sound beating 
and I I don't think uh, there's going to be anything in the playbook that's even going to get the Vegas over the Battle Hawks. Not this week, because you know that's we'll get to that later. That's uh, Battle Hawks Roughnecks. Um, you know, because obviously they've got to face St. Louis again uh, in Week Eight. And I, I don't think there's anything in uh, Vegas's playbook that's going to make anything any different than this past weekend. You know, the only way I can see it being any different is if uh, Hundley is 100% healthy and can run. Then he's a headache for any defense to to, to keep a cap on. But uh, outside of that, I don't I don't think they have any shot really at keeping up. So I've got a few things on it. How about AJ McCarron? He is looking good. I, in my opinion, he's looking like the best quarterback in the XFL. I'm, that's just my opinion. Uh, ben DiNucci's rolling, but he's also throwing picks after picks after picks. So I'm loving watching this play from McCarron. It seems like he's really pairing well with receivers, and he's finding a different guy, or at least a different guy every few games, to develop a new relationship with on the field, such as Darius Shepard. He caught two touchdowns and a two-point conversion. I mean, that's a good day for him. As well, I want to talk about the field conditions in Vegas. I thought it looked amazing compared to what we started with. Looked pretty bad that first game. So I was impressed after watching this, at least on that note. Lastly, uh, there was a little over 6,000 people in attendance. I don't know the validity of that. It seems like it looked like more than what there were previous, in my opinion. So um, that, that's just me from watching on TV. That, that's about all I got to say about that game. Uh, hopefully next time we see Vegas, they'll have a little bit different of identity. What you got, Jake? It was kind of a little bit of a joke, but you're trying to tell me that uh, Cashman didn't look like a toilet bowl for once? We, I know we have some Viper fans listening to this, so I don't want to give them shit all the time. But in terms of whoever's in charge of this field, they were told to fix it, and they did, and that's what I'm impressed by. So props to whoever is working on this field now and making sure it's TV caliber, because it wasn't. Sounds like uh, somebody greased some palms with some uh, politicians on the Las Vegas City Council, because that's the only way it was going to get done. I don't doubt so, it. So I'm a fan of the uh, slip of the tongue that uh, you just had, Matthew, uh, talking about giving the Vipers fans or the vipers shit because fans are listening uh they i mean hello standing poopers they have their own supply of shit it's it's fine (laughs) i can't escape it (laughs) i tried (laughs) it's bound it's bound to happen all right moving on (laughs) (laughs) let's roll into the san antonio brahmas versus the arlington renegades San Antonio pulled off its second win of the season, 15-9. to I want to add that they pulled this win off with, guess what? No points scored through offense. It was all kicks. Kickoff, or kick, or field goal game of the week was right here, guys, and I told you. I'm glad we have a gracious leader that doesn't say I told you so. I think we all kind of knew it was going to be basically a repeat of the previous game. Uh, they played each other back and forth or they played each other back to back. Rather, it's always hard to beat the same team twice in a season, uh, pretty much regardless of what uh, what level you're playing at. The idea of two teams without offense didn't make for very enticing viewership at all. 
and that was reflected in the viewership numbers. But it does say something about both of these teams that as bad as they are, both of them got to win against each other. So it's not one is not, you know, eons ahead of the other in terms of development of offense or defense. Neither one of them scored more than 15 points in the two uh, matchups. It really says a lot about the heart of both teams that they were willing to play and, and go at it and be in a close game both times. However, the overall score doesn't say a lot for their offenses. So, I mean, it ruins their standing and power rankings. That's about all this game did, or those two games, rather. Uh, Arlington's still second in the division behind Houston. Don't really see that changing too much, uh, but we'll see. I think this game definitely proves a point that uh, Brahma's kicker, John Parker Romo, is not a slouch compared to a retired NFL quarterback whose last name is Romo. Yeah, I know. I dig at the Cowboys. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. But, you know, I mean, Romo had the three field goals on the day, including a 56-yarder with 146 left in the game. You know, obviously the Brahma's uh, defensive squad clearly dominated, you know, holding Arlington scoreless in the first quarter and then literally put the nail in the coffin with 15 seconds left in the game after uh, Brahma's safety, Tenny Adewusi, intercepted uh, the ball from uh, Renegade's quarterback, Drew Plitt, to secure the win. Uh, also looked like that uh, linebacker Jordan Williams had recovered a fumble by Plitt for a 44-yard touchdown return. So was, I don't know what the issues are with Arlington. Uh, they obviously haven't figured things out, and if they keep making the mistakes like they have been recently, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them to pick up any more wins this season. I have to agree with that, even if Luis Perez comes in and is moderately successful, that offense is cheeks. Like, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> not a whole, whole lot of talent. I mean, who's the guy that made that diving crazy catch? Luan Winningham. You know, he's a good talent. He's a very good player. But outside of him, Arlington, I mean, they've got a above-average tight end, I guess. But he's still, a, there's not the type of talent on that offense that you say, oh, yeah, I can see where they would be really good. It's, oh, I've never heard of these guys. You know, most other offenses in the league have at least one person that people know who he is. The Arlington offense is basically the only ones that don't have anybody that we know. They haven't given us a reason to know their names. It's it's tough to watch. I, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to see them getting a win uh, also. Uh, but there is the outside chance that, you know, I'm wrong and most of, most of the XFL fans are wrong. And Luis... Perez comes in and just turns into like the XFL's Tom Brady. He is the journeyman, so it's capable. I mean, he's, it, it sounds crazy, but you got to think this guy's played a lot of football for a lot of different teams. Now, I want to note, Balage is out for the season, correct? Do I have that right? Yep, that is correct. So when I saw him out there, I, I really thought San Antonio was doing a lot more, but clearly even with him gone, it's almost the same team, in my opinion. It really is. San Antonio built a team that they could run the ball with and then subsequently abandon the run because the teams were selling out to stop it. Uh, like against Houston, Houston has a base three, four defense. Houston 
played maximum of five snaps on defense in their game against San Antonio in week three with three down linemen. Uh, they they went to a four-man line. They went to a five-man line. At one point, they were running the old bear uh, defense. Teams were selling out to stop the run against San Antonio, so San Antonio had to start passing, and their offense is not built for that. Uh, just in my opinion, the, the Brahmas are the poster child for why, for what happens in a professional environment in football. If you're one dimensional, you get shut down in that dimension and you have to try other stuff and it doesn't work for you. It just doesn't, you cannot be one dimensional in professional football. Exactly. The evidence is there from what you're saying, just watching up to week six. So agreement. Hopefully next year when they do a draft, they'll draft for what they need and not just one thing they need. Well, that's that's the other thing. I don't know that we're have they said that they're going to sit down and do another draft. I don't I don't know that they're going to do another draft. I don't know. I would think considering the new players coming in, but like you said, I'm just speculating. Yeah, I you've always got people that are, you know, coming off of NFL rosters. I, th- I think honestly, it'll be kind of a two-way street, but that, I mean, that's for that discussion's for another time. I mean, it's a good thing to bring up, Drew. We have to consider the possibility that some of these players will be going back to the NFL, you know, or the CFL or wherever uh, once this season's over with, because you know, obviously, they'll have an, a lot more footage for these coaches to go off of, you know to figure out where where are they going to go into next who who are we going to call to uh you know bring them on the practice uh, squad before actually bringing them on the roster i don't see any instance where they don't end up having a uh where they don't end up having a draft because that you know obviously they'll have to yeah they will have to fill some of those slots that are missing, it just probably won't be a big hubbubaloo like it has been, uh, you know, them having to draft everyone from scratch like they did before this season. I mean, it, it may just be an, uh, you know, a significantly shorter uh, draft, uh, you know, maybe a one day ordeal uh, to fill those empty spots and then maybe some provisional places for. You know, just to put have somebody out there to put on the practice field, and then if they don't make the cut, they don't make the cut. Right? But I, I mean, I definitely see a scenario where there will be a draft uh, going into the twenty twenty four season. I don't know. I can, I kind of lean the other way just because of the announcement that was made a few weeks ago about the XFL partnering with the with the talent recruiting company. Uh, their name slips my mind at the moment, but I mean, they're going to be setting up uh, basically football camps across the nation for every position to include kickers and punters. If there's going to be a draft, it might be just with those names in it, but there's going to be an entire process. Like I can, I can see it being almost like free agency where uh, the XFL has a cutoff date and any of the players that are coming off of NFL rosters and haven't been selected to one or uh, that feel like they want to go to the XFL for development or what you know whatever may have you might get their names thrown into a hat and they might do a draft that way but I, honestly I feel like it's just going to be all right here's your pool of players 
operate within your whatever the budget is for for each club and you know go get whoever it is that you think is going to help your team and then you know on top of that it's like we don't know what you know which players are actually going to are actually going to stay put on their current teams at you know going into the off season you know because we don't know the terms of their contracts it sounds like it's year to year so i don't know anyone in the league that has a multi year contract at this time you know outside of maybe the coaches uh but you know obviously you know have to seriously consider that you know we don't know if anyone's going to be sticking around on their teams next season until we actually get to the off season you know when they'll actually start making these plays that also includes if there's any uh, uh names of coaches that are going to be on the hot stove because they got fired <laughs> yeah well, i mean uh, to be honest uh, i don't want to get into that <laughs> in terms of the draft i think i think you're looking probably I mean, you're looking at one of those two scenarios regardless, I think. Uh, I think it'll probably be into it. All right, guys, we still have two games left to discuss. Uh, The Seattle game, we're going to wait till the end to discuss that because Jesse's got a piece we included. But now we're going to talk about the Monday game, um, the Houston Roughnecks versus the Defenders. The Roughnecks lost 26 to 37 in DC. Drew was actually in attendance for that game in DC. Um, Drew, you got anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I'll keep this one short and sweet. Uh, DC proved exactly who they are. They're the team to beat. They've got the right mentality. They've got the players. They've got the coaching. They are they're very good in in all facets of the game. Their one weakness may be special teams. But as it stands, they're the best team head and shoulders right now in the NFL. Houston, for the second quarter and the third quarter, had no answer really for what D.C. was doing on defense. Houston just couldn't score. It didn't help that Houston turned the ball over a lot. It didn't help that in the third quarter, Houston had a drive that basically, or excuse me, D.C. had a drive that was basically extended in its, in its entirety on Houston penalties, DC's DC's defense got in. Really, DC's entire team got into the heads of of uh, Houston. The refs weren't making a whole lot of. I mean, they made a lot of good calls, but they also made a lot of you know iffy or one sided calls. It seemed like twelve but, penalties this game in total. The yeah. most a game this season. Yeah, and eight penalties were against Houston for. A first down like eight of those penalties wow. that houston had resulted in a first down for dc so you know whether or not the game was called fairly i personally really don't care you can't you can't let another team dominate you mentally like houston completely unraveled during the game the fourth quarter they started to get their stuff together stopped feeling sorry for themselves and actually tried on offense and then the, by that point it was too late the defense couldn't get a stop to save their life uh, because they were they were just so tired, and that's with Trent Harris playing too. So, you know, Trent Harris wasn't really an X factor. He the the DC defenders game plan for him, executed the game plan, and ended up winning the game because of it. They the fourth quarter, I will mark something positive about Houston. Uh, Cole McDonald came in through for 100, 194 yards in the fourth quarter and two touchdowns. 
that's the most in a single quarter ever uh, in the XFL history. Or no, excuse me, no, it's not. The record uh, that was broken was the pass to Deontay Burnett for 85 yards. That's the longest pass play in XFL history. So, you know, there were some positives. There were some good things that came out of it. Coach Wade Phillips was very complimentary of Cole McDonald's play in the fourth quarter. Did not give up whether or not he was going to start uh, Cole McDonald over Brandon Silvers next week. However, he did say that the performance that Cole McDonald had on Monday bodes well for Cole McDonald moving forward. Is that a little bit of foreshadowing? I don't know. I think if Houston is smart, they will go to Cole McDonald because, as I said last week, he just has that that uh, running side to the game that defenses have to respect, and Brandon Silvers can't bring that to the table. It, it was very evident that D.C. had the offense figured out when Brandon Silvers was out there after about a quarter of play. Once Houston scored their touchdown and showed their hand that they were going to they were going to take what D.C. was giving them. D.C. set down on the short routes, and Houston does not have a deep threat right now to counter that. Like I said, if Houston's going to be smart moving forward, they're going to they're, they'll go to Cole McDonald and use his legs. Let him use his legs rather to create plays and create time. If they don't do that, I predict it's going to be a pretty long rest of the season for Houston. Props to D.C. The environment was amazing, absolutely fantastic. Entire lemons being thrown on the field by people that had smuggled them in the the stadium. <laughs> the stadium was wild. They they weren't selling any vodka lemonades or whatever it was that uh, came with lemons. So there were no lemons in the stadium until the fans smuggled them in. You know the the stadium the stands were going were going bananas. There were three f u uh, f Dan Snyder chants. Uh, there was a random USA chant that. Uh, had no true origin, but like there was no, there was no recognition of any service member or the armed <laughs> services or it, like it was just random. Sometimes uh, you just got to be proud. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it, it wasn't just like one contingent of the stadium. It was the entire stadium and the beer snake was all the way up to the top of the stands. Even with curves in it, it probably could have extended, you know, beyond the stands. It was it was nuts. A fantastic environment. I applaud the city uh, of Washington, D.C. or the district or whatever, whatever the hell you want to call it. I don't care. It's a city. The people there really, really are latching on to the defenders and for good reason. I think it's a fantastic environment. I am truly jealous of you, sir. <laughs> so far, I have just got to go to Houston this year. And it's been a great time, but I definitely would like to see some other cities. So, very jealous. I want to note, like I told you last week, that D.C. line, the offensive line, some studs. Um, watching them play, they just they don't stop. They hit their assignments, they get their blocks, and they create what they need to for their running game to explode. I will say, losing Kirkland really hurt us in Houston. It, I didn't think that he was that big of a key part of our offense. I mean, I knew he was, but I did not think that he was the only receiver we had for a long field threat. I uh, will note that Houston has picked up another receiver, Michael Bandy. He spent the last two seasons in the NFL with L.A. He is actually meeting back up with A.J. Smith. and He was, he was his offensive coordinator at one point in the spring league. 
This is from XFL News Hub. That should help us out if he can get in there and get some things going. I know AJ Smith is probably really going to put him to use if he is comparable to Kirkland. Do you know anything about this guy, Drew? Not particularly. Usually your your run and shoot, your air raid, fun and gun, whatever you want to call them. They have a whole, like a whole bunch of possession receivers. Guys that are really good within the 5 to 15 yard mark, right? Creating separation, running out routes, running ins, you know, hooks, things like uh, curls, all those type of things. What really makes one of those offenses go is when you have a deep threat. So unless unless Bandy is a is a deep threat type guy, I don't foresee the offense changing that much and keeping a guy like Silvers playing. Silvers is an excellent passer when he has time. Uh, the problem is if he is in any kind of trouble whatsoever, he's probably going down. Whereas Cole McDonald, if you put him in there and he can run around and create time, that gives those possession receivers a lot of time to work within that 5 to 15-yard range of the line of scrimmage and get open rather than just sticking to their uh, route, everything being covered, and then a second and a half, two seconds, you're you're sacked and can't do anything about it. So I could... I can definitely see Bandy coming in and producing if Cole McDonald come, uh, is the starter. If Silvers is the starter, I'm going to be concerned not just for Bandy's production, but Houston's production moving forward. And that's not anything against Silvers, you know, personally. Uh, love Brandon Silvers. Great guy. Probably, honestly, one of the one of the most laid back and funny personalities uh, by virtue of being so laid back in the league. I really think that a guy like Cole McDonald is going to give you the most bang for your buck if you're if you're down your number one receiver who is your deep threat. Agreed. Uh, I like Brandon Silver's a lot, but we we're seeing exactly the same things, Drew. So everything you're saying, I, I agree with you 100 percent on. All right, anything else we want to cover on Houston before we move on to the last game of the week or last game of last week? God have mercy on the Guardians this week. <laughs> Or don't. It might be good television if he doesn't. Who knows? <laughs> Speaking of Orlando, lastly, we're going to discuss Seattle Sea Dragons versus the Orlando Guardians. The Sea Dragons won 26-19. This game was a lot closer than what I thought it was going to be, and it was a lot more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. Um, Danucci looked good. <sighs> Second best in the league, in my opinion, right now in terms of quarterbacks. The Sea Dragons... <laughs> Right now, they're going on the second longest win streak in the league after starting 0-2. and two. Anything we want to talk about? I got Jesse's piece I'm going to add on. He recorded something for us, so he's going to talk about the Guardians as well as some of the calls that were taking place there. So, Drew, do you got anything you want to cover on the Sea Dragons themselves? Yeah, I'm going to try and keep it short just because I don't want to step on anything that Jesse's going to say. But good grief, man. Danucci is producing. Yes. But that guy looks like he wants to lose every game that he plays and just can't screw it up enough. It's like it's borderline comical. Like, you know, he's going to throw an interception, you know, in a critical point in the game. Or, you know, he's going to throw a random ball like right right at the feet of the receiver when the guy was like wide open. He's going to have some sort of farcical mistake. I mean, for, for large swaths of the game, it looked like Orlando might actually pull it off. It was a great game to watch. Orlando finally showed a pulse. Seattle kind of screwed around and played down to the level of their opponent uh, yet again. 
weird game, but a but a really good game, especially for your average uh, your average viewer or normie or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I noticed the the Nucci stuff. He it's almost comical sometimes. Uh, you can watch him until he's about to throw the pick before he throws it. <laughs> you you can pretty much call it like this is. Give it about two minutes. Within two minutes, a pick will be thrown, and it happens. It's. I I like how he has fun and he enjoys himself out there, but sometimes the the stuff that occurs on the field, whether he's what he's saying, what he's doing, is not appropriate for game time. I don't know. I, this is just me speaking frankly. You got to grow up a little bit if you're going to be a professional quarterback. He's like a. He's like. <laughs> He's got all the best attributes of Taylor Heineke and all the worst attributes uh, or all the personality attributes rather of Gardner Minshew. Like he's just, <laughs> this dude's over the top. Like he, to me, he's Ryan Fitzpatrick levels of weird and crazy and quirky uh, in terms of his game and personality. I, I don't understand him. He's a, he's a walking enigma. Yeah. I enjoy his play style. I just hope that he can clean it up. He'll be a good one to watch in the years as we go and seeing how he grows as a professional. <laughs> what was that, Jake? Jake's got a comment. Jake, what what do you think about Ben DiNucci? Well, just like I mentioned on the, our, our host side chat, uh, DiNucci is the football equivalent of professional wrestler Orange Cassidy, uh, more of a comedic type wrestler but Danucci in his case probably the most comedic type quarterback in the league yeah I'll, I'll add on to that by saying that's a very accurate <laughs> a very hilariously accurate comparison uh the only thing is Orange Cassidy has enough charisma that he can pull it off and Ben Danucci is just entirely unlikable based on his <laughs> mic'd up play <laughs> I mean Judging from a guy like Brandon Silvers and Ben DiNucci, I would definitely rather hang out with Brandon any day. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> Dude, you're not even lying. DiNucci seems like the kind of guy that you can go to a bar with and think that everything's going to be fine. But as soon as he gets a shot in him, he's like tipping all the hobos based on the merit of their signs. Like, it, you, it, you never know what's going to happen with Ben DiNucci. You can you can bet that it's going to cause you to, to clench your ass cheeks a little bit, but... I don't know. I prefer my nights to be a little bit more predictable. So I think I think I'd probably be more prone to hang out with Brandon Silvers. Yep, we, I'm good on the butt pucker. I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> I want to note uh, Jawan Green had a season high game. He had five receptions, uh, 50 yards receiving, and one touchdown for Seattle. Guys, before I let Jesse take it over, do we have anything to add? I don't believe so, man. All righty. Well, here is Jesse with his piece regarding the Orlando Guardians. Thank you, Matthew, for having me on the show to talk about this past weekend with Orlando versus Seattle. Unfortunately, we didn't quite get the result we were looking for as Orlando lost this game 26-19, but there were a lot of things to like about this game, and Orlando's come a long way from that game two weeks ago against Houston. It appears as the Guardians have found their quarterback as in the last two weeks Quentin Dormedia has come on the field, and this has looked like two entirely different teams. His ability to take the top off the defense has forced defenses to not only respect but fear the pass, which has led to dramatic gains in the running game as well. The end result was Dormandy throwing for 250 yards in this game, and the running game running for 162 yards and two touchdowns with Devin Darrington leading the way with seven carries for 82 and both of the touchdowns. 
Cody Latimer and Charleston Rambo, while not as explosive as they were last week or the week before, still seem to thrive in this offense. Lattimore had 5 for 59, and Charles Rambo had 6 for 54 as our leading receivers. Our defense also played what on paper looked like one of their best games of the season. Holding Seattle without a touchdown in the first half, and holding Seattle to 250 yards while our offense put up over 400. However, special teams in this game were an absolute killer. Kelvin McKnight seemed to almost turn this game by himself. The man had over 200 total return yards, and almost every single return he took seemed to set up Seattle in deep in Orlando territory for a short drive. Two of Seattle's field goals in the first half came off of starting field position that left them already in field goal range. In the fourth quarter, with the game still 20-19, a blocked punt seemed to seal Orlando's fate, again giving Seattle a short field and allowed them to put up a touchdown on the board to salt the game away. This game had the feel of a typical Orlando game. Orlando played exceptionally well, played well enough to win, but ultimately made too many mistakes to be able to take it home. This game was also responsible for one of the more controversial moments of the weekend. Late in the second quarter, with Orlando driving, they have the ball fourth and four on the outside of field goal range, and they are told to run a hard count. Watching on TV, you're hearing the offensive coordinator explain to the wide receivers there's no play called, don't move, as they're just trying to go up and draw them off sides. And it seemed to work to perfection. To everybody watching, it appeared as Seattle jumped off sides and Orlando would be getting a first down. However, they ruled the play a false start. Everybody, including commentator Joey Galloway, seemed confused by this, and this is what forced them to bring on Dean Blandino for an explanation. When asked, he goes on camera and explains that the left tackle's left arm moved before everybody else on the other side from where the jump supposedly happened. However, after they cut back to the game, Dean Blandino's mic is still active, and you can hear him as he's rewatching and saying, yeah, we screwed that one up. As much as I don't want to be one of those people that looks at the refs to explain their loss, all you have to do is look at this moment to understand how important for the, in the general game that it wound up being. Orlando was on the verge of field goal range and more than likely would have taken home at least three points, but they had to punt the ball away, and it resulted in a touchback and good field position for Seattle, who drove the other way to kick a field goal. This one moment represented a six-point swing in a seven-point game and is the difference between Quentin Dormandy trying to force one into the end zone on the last play of the game and setting up a field goal attempt. As much as I love the transparency of the XFL and the fact that you're allowed to challenge a penalty, my question would be why can't Dean Blandino, if he's watching the play, knows full well that the penalty was a mistake, why can't we fix that end result on the field? So let's roll into this week's games. First off, let's discuss the Seattle Sea Dragons versus the Arlington Renegades. That game is Friday, March 31st at 7 p.m. Eastern. It is on FX. Uh, what do we think, guys? I'm, I'm, I'm calling a Seattle win right now, but is, are the Renegades going to come out and do anything in this game? Short answer, no. Uh, long answer. Also, no. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, I mean, they have no offense whatsoever. I don't know how, like, Seattle's going to have to turn the ball over four or five times in order to lose this game. I I just don't see that happening, even though Danucci's, you know, spinning the wheel of fortune and every once in a while it hits bankrupt. Like, see, I think Seattle wins this going away. I'll just leave it at that. 
Yeah, no doubt in my mind they're going to pull it off. Um, the Renegades started off strong, and they have a decent defense, but as we discussed in the previews from last week, the offense is not there, and right now we don't even know who the quarterback's going to be in legitimately moving forward. Now I'll say that Arlington, Stoops really has to prove himself with this game. They're going to have to do something because at this point they're looking second to worst in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, I mean, and it's a home game for Arlington. Not, I don't, Arlington hasn't shown much of a, a much of a huge fan, fan base support level. Uh, maybe that changes with them being three and three and having a big game against a team like Seattle, who's fighting for a playoff spot themselves. I, j- I just don't see it being crazy. Uh, you know, they're, uh, Seattle's a four and a half point favorite on the road in this game. And, uh, we're looking at a 37 and a half over under. Uh, I think that over under number of 37 and a half basically says they think one team's going to score a lot and the other team is not. And I'll leave you guys to figure out who that's going to be. So with that said, uh, how do we feel about that spread of four and a half and then the over under at 37 and a half? I, I'm not touching the spread, but on the over under, I would definitely take Seattle. Oh, Let's go with the under. So we got an under from Matt. What about you, Jake? I mean, I don't really don't have much faith in this uh, matchup. I mean, other than, you know, Seattle uh, taking the W on this one. Unless, like you said, they they make uh, mistakes that just aren't likely to happen. Uh, I, I, I really don't see it... Uh, uh, as a uh, high-scoring game, I I definitely have to go with Matthew here and do under as well. I I'm not going to touch the other uh, the the money line or the uh, the spread uh, with a ten-foot pole. Let, let me clarify this: I'm not going to touch it with a ten-foot electrified pole. Yeah, I'm, I probably wouldn't either. I don't I don't know any uh, well. As far as the total, the over-under, I'm selecting under. And any game that Arlington, San Antonio, and possibly Vegas, any game that they're a part of, actually probably not Vegas, uh, probably just Arlington and San Antonio, any game that those two are a part of, I'm letting the under. Uh, it, I mean, I can't expect them to score points uh, against a team with a pulse. The spread being four and a half, I think that, Seattle's going to cover that. I don't think that Arlington's going to even keep it close. It'll probably be it. Uh, it'll probably be a two. Well, I don't know what. Yeah, that I keep saying two point or a two possession game for a lot of games, but I think that it'll be one possession, but it'll be more than four and a half points. I don't. I don't see them keeping it close. Yeah, as it sits right now, the Renegades are the worst in rushing with 2.9 yards per rush attempt. Yeah. Uh, they have a 4-7 to seven touchdown to interception rates ratio between Slaughter and Plilt just, just from the past few games. <laughs> God, that's uh, horrific. Yeah, that's pretty bad, especially coming from they're playing Seattle, who is basically first, second, or third in almost everything across the board right now. Um, yep. So we expect what's going to happen here. 
But could have set that over under line at 24 and just asked if you thought that Seattle was going to score more or less than 24. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know, coming out last week, I didn't expect Orlando to pack a punch like they did. So maybe maybe the Renegades have come out swinging this week. Yeah, but Orlando has Dormady. Like Dormady really probably should have been the starter all along. I think with how long he stayed on the roster before they kicked him off and then brought him back. I think there was some... It says a lot for Orlando that they got that situation figured out and Dormady is now the starter. There were probably some egos that got in the way of that happening earlier. Uh, so they, I mean, Orlando has a legit offense now. Uh, if I'm being honest, I'm glad that Houston doesn't have to play them again at, at this current juncture. Dormady at quarterback with Orlando makes them so much better than, than you know, it, to me it makes them better than Vegas, makes them better than San Antonio, makes them better than Arlington. Who I would pick probably goes goes based on where they're playing. But Well, before we move on, anything else to add? All right. Don't forget, guys at home, if you're listening, that's a Friday night game. All right. Next up, let's discuss San Antonio versus Vegas. That game is Saturday, April 1st at 3 p.m. Eastern. What channel is that game on, guys? I don't have that. ESPN2. I, in my opinion, this should be a good game, because seeing as it went last week, I mean, I'm not saying we're going to be super entertained, but they're actually going to be playing to get a win. I'm back in San Antonio 100% on this, and I think they're going to pull off the dub against Vegas. What do we think? I tend to lean towards Las Vegas, again, just because they score points. Uh, they've shown the ability to score points with Huntley in there. Uh, Huntley, excuse me. But their defense really can't stop anybody. The good thing for Vegas is the San Antonio offense can't punch their way out of a paper, a wet paper bag right now. So I think that that advantage lies heavily with Vegas. The spread is three points for Vegas and over-under is 39 and a half. Where the hell they're getting that over-under, I don't know. It doesn't seem plausible to me. Personally, I take the under on that every every single time. This is a home game for Vegas, which is, I mean, three points really is a home field advantage type thing. So they think that this is going to be a ridiculously close game. I personally think that Vegas is going to win somewhere in the five to nine point range. It may not be very high scoring. So I would take I would take Vegas to cover, but the under to hit, Um, you know, to. Okay, so here here's my question. Um, where's the game held at this weekend? Uh, Crapman. Well, we know where the uh, uh, over-under came from. It came yep. from that pile of excrement still sitting <laughs> yep. in the corner of uh, Crapman Field. <laughs> yeah, so... Big facts. On that one, I definitely have to take the uh, under because I really don't... I don't have much faith that they're going to be doing much scoring. And I know that uh, Matthew usually selects his field goal goal game of the week, but if it was me, that would be, this game would be my selection for the field goal game of the week. Cause I, I really think it's going to be a low scoring game. Uh, the spread, I'm not going to touch the money line. I'm not going to touch. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's all I can say on that. Yeah. I'll take the under as well. Uh, and I'm in agreement. Definitely field goal game of the week. San Antonio's bringing it with the field goals. I mean, <laughs> you, 
you can't blame them. I guarantee you this kicker gets picked up by an NFL team come next season. Oh, no yeah. doubt. Romo's ridiculously good. He's super good. The thing with Vegas is Vegas has shown the propensity to score at least a couple of touchdowns a game usually against San, against uh, St. Louis rather this past week. That was kind of a that was it seems like that's so that's the second time that they've scored just 6 points in a game and that's happened against two of the three best teams in the league. What gives me a little bit of pause is Vegas getting hot and San Antonio just dinking away at field goals because of turnovers or whatever may have you. But I can't see it getting to 40 to hit the over, if I'm being honest. I can see a game being like 23 to 9 or something like that. I don't see it getting getting over. Yeah, I think Vegas has the strength in the offense in this game. San Antonio has the strength in the defense on the other end. Um, the Vegas defense is just abysmal, in my opinion. It's um, bad, but if I had to pick who was worse, the Vegas defense or the San Antonio offense, I would go San Antonio's offense every day. And that's why we have a game, sir. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, they didn't score a single offensive touchdown against uh, – did they score an offensive touchdown? Not um, last week. Not week last before? week. I, I think they did score one the week before, but I'd have to go verify. Mostly field goals that game as well. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm in agreement with you there. I mean, I don't see San Antonio scoring a whole lot of points. I don't I don't think that they can score enough to win. I think if there's a game they're going to do it, it'll be this one or the Guardians. I don't even know if they play the Guardians again or F win, but I think this is going to be their chance to shine a little bit. I don't know the numbers on it, but I feel like the Vegas defense is bottom barrel. Not Orlando bottom barrel, but very close. Yeah, they're definitely competing for worst in the league. But, I don't, I mean, even against St. Louis, they were able to get several stops. So, I mean, they're somewhat serviceable, but they can't. They're on the field for the whole game. They get tired. It's the same story, you know. Yep. Uh, yep. So, I look for... If San Antonio is going to score a touchdown, I think it'll be fourth quarter, but I don't. I think it'll be too little too late. Agreed. I like all the takes. Anything else to add before we move on? Don't believe so. All righty. Let's roll into the D.C. Defenders versus the Orlando Guardians. Saturday, April 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern. That game's on ESPN. I mean, do we even have to cover this, guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I think it's worth covering just because of the new look offense in Orlando. Uh, Dormady's come in. He's, he's shown the ability to throw the ball. Uh, he did what Houston was unable to do against Seattle and moved the ball efficiently and scored points. Orlando has some bite now. They're not the they're not you know six weeks ago's Orlando Guardians with coaching problems and traitorous quarterback and you know drama up and down the sidelines they're they're a little bit better put together uh latimer has has really you know shot i mean he's been a shining spot a bright spot rather for the entire season even with bad quarterbacks like he's been the guy that that does everything he's the dude as far as receivers go in orlando but dormity really makes that offense go so with the way that Orlando scored and played against Seattle and even played 
good defense against Seattle. It's going to be interesting for me to see how they play and how they fare against DC. And honestly, I think this could be kind of a barometer for Orlando. Orlando's not going to make the playoffs. They know that, but it's going to tell us what the rest of the season is going to look like for Orlando. Yeah. So last week against Seattle, the guardians managed 391 total yards. Um, they also had 32 points against Vegas on another trip. Now, Orlando's going to have to show up to do anything with D.C. There's no doubt. When it comes to D.C.'s defense, I definitely think Dormany's going to be able to move the ball and score a few times, but I don't know if he's going to be able to pull off the win with that. I like this Orlando team much more than I like the Orlando team from the beginning, and I'm glad that they have got their identity and got their stuff together to play some good football finally. Yeah, so the line on this, or the spread rather, is uh, nine and a half points for D.C. And I think D.C. is on the road, if I'm not mistaken, aren't they? Yes, yeah, I DC's believe so. on the road to Orlando. So nine and a half point favorites on the road. I mean, if we were talking a, a established fan base, like NFL fan base, I'd probably be hesitant to take that. But I think that DC will will probably DC's probably going to cover that. I don't know. I probably would bet against it if I was putting money on it. Uh, so nine and a half being the spread for DC, and over under is forty five and a half. So how do you feel about that, Jake? Okay, so spreads nine and a half. I think it's going to be an even worse whooping than that. Honestly, I'd be surprised if uh, Orlando gets any points in at all. The money line obviously would be with DC. I mean, obviously, and uh, if there's some weird scenario that Orlando can pull a upset win, and I don't see that happen, even though I'm obviously going to be wrong because I, I I p- did pick Orlando this week against DC. Just just <laughs> ballsy. Just, just to spite DC, and I can definitely see Gotta them. Get that at- lemon juice out of your eyes, Jake. <laughs> Bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> see how it plays out for him. <laughs> yeah, and then the over under, I could, I could see either possibility uh, of it going under or over. So. It just depends on how effective the passing is going to be on DC's end. And uh, whatever dismal defense that Orlando has that could potentially limit things. But honestly, I I could definitely see both sides of the ball. And that's one scenario where I couldn't be comfortable. If I had to bet on it, I'd probably bet on both ends and not in a parlay. They'd be separate bets. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you, you, you win one, you win one way and lose the other, you could win the other way and lose the other as well. So, I mean, that's just something to consider if if you want to play both sides of that scenario. Yeah. I like DC this week on the spread as well as the over under. So I'm going to take that. Uh, Orlando guardians is the worst defense in the league. Now I do think Orlando is going to score a little bit, maybe 14, Something like that. Dormy is going to be throwing the ball in the middle tier DC defense. I don't think it's going to keep up. They're going to pull off the win, of course, and they're going to make Orlando look bad. But uh, I think we're going to get a little bit more movement from Orlando than what we expect. 
I think so too. I think this is going to end up kind of like the DC and Houston game. Uh, I don't think Orlando is as bad as they used to be uh, by any means. Like I said, I do uh, currently, I do think that they, if they were to match up against uh, Arlington or against San Antonio, I think they win against both of those teams. I think they could beat Vegas, honestly, with an offense that scores points. The Orlando defense is not going to be giving up as much, but they are playing against what probably is the most well-oiled machine in in XFL football in D.C. So I think they're kind of running into a, a buzzsaw here. If I were betting the spread nine and a half, I would take I would take uh, Orlando to cover. I, I think that they can keep it a one possession game, possibly. I, pr- I mean, honestly, I wouldn't put money on that. That's not, I wouldn't put money on it either way. Uh, but the total, the over-under, I'm smashing over hardcore on that. Uh, I may actually bet money on that. If I do, I'll let you guys know how much I win. But uh, Picks or it didn't happen. Picks yeah, or no, didn't happen. Oh, there will be screenshots. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Jake had him some success uh, this weekend, didn't you, Jake? Yeah, until I lost some of it on, uh, <laughs> I would just say Creighton in Texas, I'm pissed off at you losing your uh, <laughs> March Madness uh, matchups, because, I mean, th- th- it shouldn't have came to that scenario where they, bo- I believe they both lost by, yep. like, very, very small slims. It's like, it almost makes me wish I would have put back the spread on those instead of the money line. So you got to be careful with those. I don't... If- I would never bet any anything on March Madness, especially after a year like this. No. That, well, uh, like like some of that stuff, and I, I know it kind of goes off. It's like it was, there was some of that was delved into XFL, and that I did MLS, and there were some other things, and then there was foreign soccer competitions, and <laughs> you know, this, that, and the other. It's like okay, well, you know that some of these games are obviously going to go over half a goal. So it's like, okay, yeah, those are easy ones. And then, um, like the MLS game, you know, I, I mean, I went, I went gutsy balls to the wall on, you know, betting on, uh, Klaus to score uh, for, uh, St. St. Louis. And it's like, man, and now realizing that he scored two goals, there's like, damn, I should have bet on him for two goals. That would have been even better. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you definitely have to watch out on, you know, March Madness is, has p- plenty of unknowns. And, yeah, I I mean, I didn't lose all my gains. It's just, yeah, it, it wasn't fun. March Madness always sucks. My bracket was busted a long time ago, and then my second chance one busted because of those two teams. So I think everybody's bracket was trash this year. Yeah. I sat out on the bracket war. This is I didn't play too focused on the XFL, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Let's cover our last game for this week. It's the St. Louis Battlehawks versus the Houston Roughnecks. That game is in Houston. It is Sunday, April 2nd at 2 p.m. Eastern. That's on ESPN. I do not know if I will be in attendance yet, but Drew, I believe you will, correct? Yep, absolutely will be. So we will have some coverage there. Um, Drew, what do you think about this game? What are, what are we looking at as Houston fans? Are we going to 
come back to our winning team? To me, that depends on who's starting at quarterback. I'm very bullish on the fact that not having a number one receiver that is a deep threat is going to limit our offensive capabilities if we have a a pro style pocket passing quarterback that doesn't that that doesn't have the propensity to scramble and buy time and make plays. I think if Cole McDonald starts, then honestly, he'll make some plays, but he'll also make some mistakes. I don't see Houston winning this one, uh, personally. I would love it if they did. I just don't see it. Uh, St. Louis has a really good defense. Uh, They're solid schematically. They're solid positionally. They're a well-coached team. I mean, for Houston, it's their defense. I don't know, man. (laughs) I don't see Houston winning, and it hurts me to say that, but... Unless Cole McDonald is the second coming of P.J. Walker, which he showed flashes of in the fourth quarter of the D.C. game, but they were also playing pretty much two-man under and just trying to keep the top on the uh, on the offense. It's possible that Houston could break out and, and win big if Cole McDonald comes in and has a, a big game. But he's he's pretty uh, prone to some tough, tough decision-making, uh, at least in his limited snaps that we've seen. Even even some of his big plays against DC were were questionable. Like one, he was uh, get kind of getting sacked as he threw the ball. Like he was run, he was sliding, not sliding. He was stepping backwards, being pulled backwards, and threw like across his body into the middle of the field. Which any NFL quarterback coach or college quarterback coach or even high school quarterback coach is absolutely crapping himself when he sees that because he thinks an interception's coming. Somehow Cole McDonald was able to to complete that pass, but he can't rely on plays like that. If he if he makes plays like that against a good defense like St. Louis, it will be picked off. A, a, a team like St. Louis in the first three quarters of the game is going to try and hold you to as little as they can possibly hold you to. So I see them playing a lot of probably full on zone cover two, maybe cover three, try and keep, try and keep Houston to the underneath stuff. I just don't see Houston winning personally. Jake, how you feel about it? I don't hear you before I start running my mouth on this he's, one. Yeah. He's probably a lot more sunshine and rainbows than I just was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was kind of funny, you know, in our little offline chat, you know, how, um, how you know you were kind of talking a big game on there, and then now you know reality's starting to settle in a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yes, you guys are you know you guys are on your home turf, and yeah, I mean I know that Houston's had some struggles. I mean, there's just some there's not a whole lot I can say that because St. Louis has had some struggles as well. I mean, it's going to be an ugly situation regardless of what happens. Uh, obviously, I kind of have to agree with Drew here that this is likely going to end up in it with a win with uh, the Battlehawks. Uh, but it's just dependent on what that outcome is. Because I honestly don't see a big spread like it was with the Vipers uh, this past week. So it would definitely be interesting to see how things will actually unfold this weekend. 
if you would have told me, if we'd have talked about this two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I would have said Houston all the way, baby. Mm. No way the call is the law in Houston. But after watching this consistent Battlehawk team, I am uh, in agreement with both of you. They literally, they've scored the most points in the league, and I believe they're the highest offensive rating in the league right now. I don't know if that's for sure. I read that online a couple days ago. They, McCarron is a true quarterback, and he's going to lead his team to a victory. Until we can say that about our Houston team, I don't know how things are going to go. Speaking of that, this, this what is it, the South Conference? We're in the South, right? No, we're in the North. Yeah, we're in the South. The South Conference, if we lose this game, I mean, there's a chance for the Renegades or the Brahmas to come through and, and win the South still. I mean, it's not too far-fetched. Yeah, they won't be numerically uh, or mathematically eliminated. Nope, nope. So we still got uh, some stuff going on in the South. Now, I know this dictates who our overall best team, in my opinion, besides D.C. They've already come through as number one. But if the Battlehawks pull this off, I think they're number two in the league, and that's that's my opinion. Yep. Houston defense looked amazing the first few weeks out, but we also played winless teams and teams that have lost a lot. So what's that mean? It, it means that the XFL is good quality football because that defensive performance was not sustained. It means people have figured out what Houston's trying to do on defense, and they're doing better at attacking it. They know they have to game plan for Trent Harris, and once they do that, it's pretty simple one thing i did i have taken notice of is houston's really only had trouble with mobile quarterbacks on defense their two losses were to danucci who can absolutely run and to uh Te'amu, who if you watch how uh, houston's defensive line played they were trying to keep Te'amu in the box because they didn't think that Te'amu could throw on them that ended up being a mistake so now they're going up against McCarron, who can run but isn't a known runner. So maybe that does bode well for Houston uh, defensively. You know, we'll have to see how they game plan and how they go about things. But I, I, I you know, St. Louis being a consistent scorer like they are, I don't think it's a, I don't think there's anything that Houston really can do to stop the scoring, so to speak. Uh, the spread is Houston three-point favorites at home uh, on Sunday at 2 o'clock on ESPN, 2 o'clock uh, Eastern time. And the over-under is set at 43 and a half. What do you feel about that, Jake? Well, before I actually go into that, um, there is a little bit of an element of curiosity. Uh, you guys had discussed that even if uh, Houston lost uh, against uh St. Louis uh, this weekend that there's a possibility that you you know Houston might not be uh, mathematically eliminated from you know potential playoff contention. The one thing I have a little bit of curiosity about is what is the element of difficulty for the remaining three games of your season? Uh, do either of you off the top of your head know what your uh, final three weeks your games are against yeah san antonio vegas and looks like arlington oh wow so, well i take that back i'm sorry <laughs> so potentially you know even if they lose they could win the next three and still make the playoffs potentially well, or or houston just 
pretty much guaranteed with that being the rest of their schedule that they're going to that they're going to have the one seed in the south. Yeah. And then you know I'm I'm just might as well since I brought it up uh for Houston and might as well bring it up with uh St. Louis as well. The final 3 weeks on the St. Louis end is Vegas next week at the Dome, the Battle Dome. I should correct myself there. Uh, and then, like I said, those f- the t- final two weeks after that are at home as well. Uh, week 9 against Seattle and Week 10 against Orlando, uh, where I can see Seattle being another close one, Orlando you know, being completely wiped out so you know that there's at least two of the three or maybe three of the three after this week that they could potentially win as well and then you know on in their uh, division make the playoffs as well uh, as far as the spread <clears throat> yeah i i don't i don't see the three happening uh, i i definitely think it could be uh determined by a little bit more than that. I won't say what figure, but I know that it'd definitely be more than three. Not betting the money line, but obviously I'd be going, uh, I gotta be a homer. I've gotta do Battle Hawks. Um, what, and what was the over under again? 43 and a half. Yeah, yeah, 43 and a half. That one I can potentially see over. How much? I could definitely see where it could be a, 50 to 55 point uh, game. Yeah, I can see that too. The The big thing here is you're probably not a smart better if you're putting money on this game in just about any capacity, unless Houston comes out before the game and says who's going to be their starter, which I highly doubt that's going to happen. They're probably going to take it all the way up to game time, and then whoever they trot out, they're going to try and make St. Louis prepare for two different styles of quarterback, try and make St. Louis you know, pick sides or uh, waste some time on on one quarterback or the other. That's just gamesmanship by coaches. It happens all the time. Obviously, I would never bet on this game. If I knew that Cole McDonald was going to be the quarterback, I would bet the over probably. If I knew that Silvers was going to be the quarterback, I would probably hit the under. So, I mean, there's way too many way too many variables going on in this one for me to bet on it. Honestly. And I think that's the biggest factor is the the unknowns on who's going to be the starting quarterback in this game for Houston. And it just makes the, things difficult for whoever may be betting in favor of Houston. Right. Yeah, I'm not touching this either. I'm just, as a fan of the Roughnecks, and I'm good <laughs> for <Yeah>. this week. <laughs> Let's just hope we get this dub. Yeah, and honestly... So this is a huge game for St. Louis. Yes, I was going to say that. Massive game for St. Louis because they're they're in a legit race with Seattle and they still have a matchup with Seattle coming up. Yep. So St. Louis really needs to win this game for for to help their playoff hopes. Houston does not have that same pressure on them. Yeah, DC either. They can the DC can take a loss now at this point and they're good to go. Yeah, and which I don't expect them to. And one of DC's remaining games is against Seattle in Seattle. So Seattle still stands a chance to lose a game as well. So for St. Louis, it is a huge win 
if they can win against Houston. Yeah, that that's a lot. Now, what's considering what you said and what's on the line, St. Louis has to pull this win off here. Yep. I mean, like I said, I, I really do see St. Louis winning. I, I'll be absolutely ecstatic if Houston wins, but I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, it was tough for me last week when we picked our staff picks to pick against Houston this last week, but right. it was correct, unfortunately. Do we have anything else before we want to move on to the power rankings? I think I'm good. All right, Drew, can you update us on your power rankings and why, please, sir? Every week we look forward to your expertise and your knowledge when it comes to the rankings. Last week you had some pretty debatable lines, but they were still accurate, especially coming into this week. So like what you had so far. Yeah, so basically, obviously, D.C. is number one still. Uh, no question there. I have St. Louis at number two. They're, like you said, the uh, the most consistent scoring offense in the league. Uh, have a pretty jam-up defense. Uh, so they're, they're sitting at number two. Seattle at number three. Seattle, you know, obviously had a, a little bit of a, a graze with humility against Orlando this past week. But they still pulled out the, the win. They figured out how to get it done on the road. So Seattle, still very good scoring team, uh, have a have a pretty decent defense. They're at number three. Houston's sitting at number four still, just because they're still dangerous uh, as far as points scoring goes, uh, more so than just any of the rest of the teams. And they actually have a defense that's worth something. Uh, they didn't necessarily show it against D.C., but they were also on the field for almost the entirety of the second and third quarters. Uh, they had nothing come the fourth quarter. So uh, Houston, especially if their offense, you know, gets figures it out, they're going to, they're probably going to be on the rise again at some point. Arlington is uh, sitting at number five for me. Arlington getting, getting Perez instantly makes them number five for me. Uh, ju- just because Perez showed a lot of flashes Everybody thought, oh, hey, Vegas has a quarterback, and then all of a sudden he gets traded. What the hell was going through Vegas's mind? I have no idea when they accepted that trade. Uh, maybe they thought they're better with Hundley. Uh, may- yeah, I mean, that probably would be what they were thinking. Arlington getting Perez, that means they have some glimmer of hope possibly on offense. That will remain to be seen. Uh, San Antonio, despite getting the win over Arlington, I still have them lower. Granted, their defense did show up bigger in those two games than Arlington's did. With that said, they, they're still incredibly anemic on offense. So San Antonio's at six. Las Vegas is seven. They've lost the plot. They don't know what's going on uh, out there. <laughs> I don't think anybody really does. They're probably the biggest disappointment this year in the, in the XFL. But they're so they're sitting at number seven, and then Orlando is bringing up the rear. I would imagine Orlando will remain at the bottom until they win a game. Uh, but they do look like they're better than Vegas for the first time this year. They do look like they're better than San Antonio for the first time this year, and I would argue they look right now like they're better than Arlington uh, for the first time this year. So it it very well could be that Orlando moves from the bottom all the way up to five before the end of the season, uh, which would be a massive change. 
So uh, just to reiterate the standings there, it is D.C. at one, St. Louis at two, Seattle at three, Houston at four, and then Arlington, San Antonio, Vegas, and Orlando bring up the back half of the pack. Awesome. I really like how you uh, change each team's value depending on what's going on each week, Um, such as the Vegas decisions to do with trading or giving the respect to Orlando to move up potentially just from how they've been playing the past couple of weeks. So I like how yeah. you, you really consider what's going on situational. I appreciate that. I, th- I mean, anybody who's, who's played football or coached football knows that there's always something extra going on that affects the game, uh, you know, off the field, on the field, there's always something. Uh, so if you're not taking those things into account, I don't think you're being really honest about your power rankings. Sure. You may be right, but, did the logic that you used to get there actually work out? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe not. So I, I try and be a little bit more analytical in these things. Uh, you know, sometimes it makes me look look dumb. Some Sometimes, you know, I hit a home run. But I don't know, I think I hit a home run every week. So I think you guys just need to get on the bandwagon. But <laughs> Confidence. Confidence is key. <laughs> well, we appreciate that, Drew. Great insight going into this next week, and I can't wait to see what happens. It, it As each week unfolds, we've definitely got a good game on our hands. This this isn't lame duck football where we're watching the same two or three teams just like flounder out and suffer. We're actually seeing them try to compete. That's all I can ask for personally. It's amazing what happens in a league where you don't have the ability to bomb your entire season just to get a good player. Very true. And much more entertaining. Just from being an AAF fan previously, I was a Memphis Express guy, and it was rough. (laughs) (laughs) But, anywho, appreciate you, Drew, and let's move on. Next up, we're going to discuss the Ambush Sports Players of the Week. AmbushSports.net is a great site to check out if you want to see anything sports-wide. Right now, we're talking about XFL, but we have a lot of different people that cover sports, everything from wrestling to soccer, so check them out. Each week, the staff decides on two players XFL-wise that are the players of the week. This week, we chose the D.C. Defenders' Lucky Jackson and the San Antonio Brahmas' Jordan Williams. Now, Lucky Jackson is a wide receiver for D.C. He had five receptions for 136 yards and one touchdown. Before I move on to Jordan, do you guys have anything you want to cover on Mr. Lucky? There is no luck involved in his game. <laughs> that dude is good. Super good. Uh, he he burned pretty much every receiver or every uh, defen- defensive back that Houston had. Uh, every time that there was a clutch play that needed to be made for dc he was there when houston scored a touchdown and it seemed like they were going to try and come back it was a one possession game lucky put the icing on the cake and and had his touchdown catch so i mean the dude for weeks now has been showing up uh, consistently and it's going to confuse the hell out of me if he doesn't get nfl looks stud for sure he's enjoyable to watch as well yeah, and he's humble too. If you watch the, if you go to xfl.com and watch the uh, post game press conferences, Lucky is a very, very humble human being. All right, let's talk about Mr. Jordan Williams from San Antonio. He's a linebacker. He had 14 tackles, 
three tackles for a loss and one fumble recovery. This man had a game, and he was entertaining to watch as well this past week. Uh, anything you would like to add, Drew? Yeah, I mean, anytime you have double-digit tackles, uh, multiple tackles for loss, and a, and you force a turnover, you're probably going to be in contention for the player of the week. Uh, there's a, There was another player, I think he's a battle hawk, I can't remember his name, had two interceptions, probably could have been considered as well, or... Uh, I would imagine he was considered. There were a lot of really good defensive uh, performances this week. Jordan just seemed, to me at least, I, I voted for Jordan. Uh, he seemed to have really just the best overall effect on the game. Tackle tackle for loss for me is is essentially the same as a sack. So for him to have three of those in a game is is pretty significant. So to me, it was the standout performance of the week on defense. No doubt. Uh, I got a sense of um, respect from the way he played. He doesn't stop. He keeps rolling, and he tries to do the best he can. And so that's what I like to see, especially on a team like the Brahmas. Agreed. It's, it's, it was very clear that that he was the leader on the defense, uh, at least for this game, by example. Uh, hit all of his assignments made big plays when he needed to, kept his team in there, and they got a win because of it. Yes, sir. Hope to see him more as time progresses. Well, okay. That wraps up our show, fellas. As always, if you want to close us out, throw your socials out, tell the people where to find you. Drew Wells, um, Ambush Sports H-O-U, at Ambush Sports H-O-U on Twitter. And then on Facebook, the page is Houston Roughnecks dash Ambush Sports. As usual, uh, Twitter at Jake Leonard, J-R-N. Facebook, literally under my name, uh, Jake Leonard. Um, outside of um, the XFL, uh, do a lot of stuff with MLS, which I actually need to start ramping up again because I've been falling behind. Uh, pro wrestling, uh, you name it, I'm usually in charge of it. Um, outside of Ambush Sports, I'm the editor in chief of Heartland Newsfeed. You can find that at heartlandnewsfeed.com and on Twitter at HLNF underscore bulletin. Thank you both, as always, for coming on and helping out. I know this takes a good portion of your time, so thank you. It's greatly appreciated. Um, I don't feel this show would be as valuable if it wasn't for you two coming on each week, so thank you. Thank you for having us, brother. As always, I'm Matthew Tyler. This is the XFL Insider Podcast. I'm not going to review all the social handles and such. If you want to find me, just search those words and you will find me. Um, Very active or try to be active, but sometimes life pops up on the Facebook groups as well as Twitter. Um, Loving what we're doing. Excited that we've made it to this point. And I look forward to getting through this full season with Drew and Jake and you guys as the fans. So thank you for listening.
Also want to thank Ambush Sports, as always. Check them out. And XFLboard.com. Thank you for hosting us on your site. And if that's all, that's all for me, guys. It's good with me, too. Enjoy your weekend. And go Roughnecks. Call is not the law. (laughs) Call is not the law, Jake. You heard the man. Call is law. (laughs) Y'all have a good week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Peace.